Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I'm going to credit Andrew Ling here this morning for starting the pickleball craze that's hit Dulles Church. I mean, it's hit much of the planet, of course. But uh, Andrew just kept for like a month like, come on, pickleball. I had never heard of pickleball. Andrew introduced it to me. I can't believe it started in the 1970s. So there's a group of us now that gather a lot during the week. I can make it about once or twice a week. Some of you, I think, meet up like three or four times a week, actually. Sometimes early in the morning. Uh, yeah, and it's just, it's, it's, it's super fun. And I've noticed something about my game. Uh, I either play pretty well, I mean, for me, like, pretty well. It seemed random at first, like, today I played pretty well. In fact, two weeks ago, there was a morning, early one morning, three or four of us were together. We had time to play two games. I won both games. It was like, I was kind of surprised. The guys I was playing with were very surprised. And then... There's like most of the time, I just play terrible. It's like I've never played before. Two weeks ago on a Thursday morning, I hit myself in the head with my paddle. Brian Rogers had to come over to my side of the court and check my head to see if I was bleeding. No kidding. I mean, I was like, what in the world? It's like I've never played a sport before. What is wrong with me today? And I've noticed a connection. For me, this may not be true of you in sports, for me, this is absolutely true. I know the pattern. I learned this with golf. I'm not a great golfer by any means, but the same is true of golf. When I'm playing pickleball and I am focused, I'm concentrating on how hard I'm going to hit it, where I'm going to serve. I'm trying to place the ball in certain parts of the court. I'm trying to beat Nate Gallon. When I'm, when I'm focused and concentrating, I play terrible. I'm just, I'm, I'm just super sloppy. When I'm relaxed and I'm really there more to hang out with everybody and the conversation's really a big part of what this is about for me, I play better. And it, it's, it, I, I mostly play golf with my dad. Same is true. I, no joke, two times a year I'll tell dad, you know, dad, I'm going to try really hard today to break my own nine-hole record. This is something I'll say to him. Those are the worst. It's like I shouldn't have even tried to play that day. When I'm just hanging out with my dad, he's 80, he still works once, one day a week at a shoe, shoe company, and I'm chatting about work or people he's met or high school football, I just play better. There is a close connection, a close tie to me, something I do, the way I think, what I'm choosing, and how I play. I either choose, I'm thinking, I'm making the choice to play hard, to concentrate, try to beat my own record. I play pretty terrible or sloppy at best. When I choose to just be relaxed and hang out and make it about the conversation, I just play better almost every time. And I've noticed a connection. I wrote about this again in August. One morning early on a prayer walk that I do almost every morning of the week, after reading and in talking to God on this walk, this crystallized idea, this reality just filled my mind and heart again. And I've written about this many times over the years. This was nothing new, and yet it was just so fresh and clear in my head. The clear connection to how not only I connect with God 
and I'm walking in the good and what makes sense. And I see God working in my life. I actually see him. I hear him speaking and encouraging life through me to others. There is a close connection, a close tie between something I choose, something I do, something I'm choosing to think on or focus on, and my closeness to God. And I know this is true of you as well. And listen, I don't want to sound hyper-confident about this. I really am. You know, we value humility highly here. And I believe I can lead humbly and speak humbly and also be extremely confident about this. I am sure this is true about you. The same connection point, the same close tie between something you choose, something you do, and whether you're close to God or not, whether you're struggling to hear him, whether you're struggling to see him at work. Is he here? Is God real? I believed he was real a month ago. Last year, I felt close to him. Now, not so much. Or do you walking in the rhythm of God's life, his activity, his purpose in the world? And this is it. This is the, 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 the secret. If there's a magic pill that I found, if there's a formula, and I hate that word, especially with God, religion is about formula, relationship, True connection with God has really very little to do with religion. But I believe this is almost like a formula, or it's just so undeniable. Our closeness to God is closely tied to the rhythm of surrender. And this is so counter to how we think. It's so antithetical to what we've been taught. It's probably different from what your parents thought or how you were raised. It's absolutely different from the American dream and how we walk in success, how we experience happiness. Surrender? It's like the last thing we want to do. Surrender who I am? Surrender my dreams? Surrender my talents? Surrender what I'm working hard to achieve? This principle... And God has to bring me back to it and back to it over and over. And every time I do, every time I choose this, every time I allow my heart and my mind to focus on life really being found in surrendering who I am, surrendering my plans, I begin to walk in the beauty and the good and the unmatched strength, the power that is God that all of us are craving. We all want the goodness of God. We all want to have hope for the future. And the secret to walking in that and experiencing it in our lives is actually surrendering all that we're trying and we're striving for and trust in our own strength. This is really two-part. The closeness to God, it's, it's really a two-part. This is the way I just put it into my phone that morning, walking. Just a new way to say what I've written so many times over the years. Closeness to God is closely tied to the rhythm of surrender and to trust. And I don't mean generic, I go to church kind of trust. Or the trust that, yeah, I pretty much for the most part believe God is there. And I generally think he's good. I don't mean that kind of trust. I mean the trust where you 
grow to deeply believe that God actually, really, truly knows what he's doing and he knows better than me. When you choose surrender, the stress at work, how challenging parenting can be, the multiple visits to the doctors, the discouragement about the future in whatever area we can pick so many areas of life. When you choose, I'm choosing surrender to God's plan, his voice, his words, his timing, not my timing. I so want to control the timing, but I'm going to give my life over to God's timing. When we choose this kind of surrender and we trust that he really knows what he's doing and he knows better than me, when I say instantaneously, I don't want you to hold me to this like, okay, God's got 10 minutes to prove this to me. But 10 minutes, God. I'm just telling you within hours, within a couple of days, sometimes in moments you step into what you understand is the close presence of God and he is working in my life. Even if I can't explain the challenge or the circumstances, I know God is working, and he's working to turn the ugly into beauty, the broken into wholeness. This is what my God does. So we're going to look at an example. I try to bring our attention to this a couple times a year, this, this story in Scripture. It is the hardest story in my experience, it is the hardest story for people to accept, for people to read the story and choose to follow God or to continue in their trust in God. I've, more than any other story in Scripture, people have asked to meet me for coffee or get together, and they're like, not only, sometimes it's like, Brad, this is a head-scratcher, but usually it's like, this is frustrating. This is the kind of God we're supposed to be following? Okay, so <laughs> uh, maybe you didn't, Come to our gathering here this morning to hear the most challenging, discouraging story in Scripture to a lot of people in my experience. But let's go there. There is a precedent that God is setting here that is so, so crucial for you and me. The difference between us continuing to walk in frustration, trying to connect with God, and actually connecting with Him. And walking in His good, in His power, in His plans. Genesis 22. Here's the background. Abraham, who's the father of our faith, he's called that many times in Scripture. Abraham, and that is because Abraham was the first to recognize that God is creator God, and I should surrender my life to him and his plans and all that he wants to do in this broken world. He is my resource for life. Abraham's the first to acknowledge this. He's the first to recognize it. And God says, okay, so you are the man that I'm going to create descendants from, and that people group, which would become the people of Israel, that people group will be not just my favorite people, and I favor the Israelites over all the other nations, I will call them to be my rescue plan to all other peoples, all other nations, that Israel, your descendants, Abraham, will extend my voice and my reality reality to the planet and of course Jesus would eventually this is why it's important that Jesus was born as a as a Jew as an Israelite he would fulfill this calling when Israel often couldn't get out of their own way and kept choosing selfishness Jesus would eventually fulfill this 
this heart and calling and rescue plan of God. It all begins with Abraham and his trust in God. And the first of millions, by the time they crossed the Red Sea, we believe it's about two million people that made up the people of Israel. The very first was Abraham's son Isaac, through whom God's promise would come. Okay. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. I mean, we could stop there. We could spend the whole morning on that phrase. That's not a phrase that we like to read. We want to read God's love. He, he loves us. He's always close to us. God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, calls out to him. Abraham says, I'm here. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Now, if you hear the next, read the next few verses with me in this story, and you think it sounds as if, or it looks as if Abraham is acting sort of schizophrenically, like very, very polar here, very bipolar, uh, you, you're reading it the way I'm reading it. It's like Abraham's believing somehow two opposing ideas here at the same time. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. It doesn't say he ran away. He got away as far away from God as he possibly could have. He hid himself so that God wouldn't see him. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had, cho- uh, had, talked, had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. I know for us, animal sacrifice in the Old Testament, it seems so morbid. It made so much sense to the people in ancient times and particularly to the people of Israel. An innocent animal dying, losing its life so that God's mercy would cover the people. Often the father, we see this in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the father who would sacrifice the the, the animal for the selfishness of the family and trying to be God was instructed, the father was instructed before slaughtering the animal to look the animal in the eyes and have that moment of recognizing this animal is innocent and doesn't deserve this. And it's becoming the substitute for, for payment for myself, the selfishness of humanity. He says to his servants, stay here while the boy and I go over there. We will worship through a sacrifice to God, and then we will come back to you. Abraham's saying, I'm going through with this. This is the instruction of God. There's something in Abraham that trusts, deeply trusts God to this degree, to this level. And yet, he also trusts God's promise that through your son Isaac will become a nation that will end up being the rescue the voice of rescue and the heart of rescue to the whole world. Abraham believes God promised this and that that would come through his son Isaac and he also believes that God has instructed him to lay down his son. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up. We don't know how old Isaac is. We know he's a boy, but he's obviously old enough to recognize a lot of what's happening here. This almost reads comically if it wasn't such a dark, 
concept, you know, this would almost read sort of funny. Like Isaac's like, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Listen to Abraham's response. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together to the place of sacrifice. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. You know, you wonder, if, it, if it's me, it's like, okay, God, I cut the wood. Like, do I need to actually build the altar? He builds the altar. He arranges the wood on it. I mean, I'm like looking over my shoulder like, okay, God, I'm going through with this. Like, can't we stop now? He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, who many scholars believe is probably the voice of Jesus, the, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord that gives instructions in the Old Testament, uh, it's often believed that this would be the messenger of God. Jesus who would come as the word. Which is a fascinating idea about the story. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. God provides the ram, caught in the thicket, becomes the sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac go back to the servants together and go back home. And Isaac becomes the father of many children who become the parents of what would become God's rescue plan of the Israelites. This is so counterintuitive to us about how to live success and happiness. The idea that God can ask Abraham to not only sacrifice his son, I mean, it's just so, it's so deeply personal. This is family. I mean, of course, that's, but it's also the blessing. This is also the promise. He's being asked to sacrifice his son, his only son, Isaac, but he's also being asked to sacrifice the promise for the whole world. The blessing, specifically the word blessing. God bending, that's the idea of blessing. We talked about earlier in the spring. God bending on knee and offering a gift of good and love. That's what blessing means in the Old Testament Hebrew. That Isaac would be this blessing not only to Abraham and Sarah, but to the whole world. And God's asking him to give him up. There's something deep in the heart of Abraham. There's, there's a profound trust. There's a confidence about who God is and his words and God's plan that I can't make any sense out of today on a Tuesday afternoon. Or when life seems to be blowing up on a Thursday morning. There's something deep in Abraham's trust where he knows that if God says, this is the promise, this is the promise. And if God says, sacrifice the promise, it somehow can be the promise even though it's sacrificed. I can't tell you how many people, I've been a pastor for 25 years now, how many people say, hey, Pastor Brad, can we get together? I really need to talk to you about my faith. I'm, I'm really struggling. We sit down with our coffees, or whatever the context is, and this, Genesis 22. I got to Genesis 22, like, what in the world? 
What kind of God? Is he serious? Now, you've never been asked to do this involving a child. But you have faced these moments. I know you have because you're human. Amy and I, uh, more than five or six times this year, maybe more than 10 or 15, we've just, God, this isn't making any sense. We're trying. We're trying to love people, and we're trying to grow this young church, and man, life is just hard right now. And I know that you've said that to the sky, or maybe under your breath, or maybe with a clenched fist. God is establishing a precedent here for how closeness between a beautifully perfect God, a profoundly perfect God, and deeply flawed humans is reestablished. And it's surrender. It's the idea of surrender. Not giving up on life and I'm going to live in depression the rest of my life. Surrendering to God creator who knows what he's doing. And he, he knows what he's doing with my life. He knows what he's doing with this job or the lack of a job. And why it seems to keep lingering. Or how incredibly difficult. I was talking to a parent here, one of you this week. Just about a, a parenting challenge. And I, I, I told a story about Mackenzie and Reagan from when they were young. And kid you not, this album, I don't know why this affects me the way it does. They're like, Mackenzie? Mackenzie talked to you guys that way? She had a bad attitude? Reagan could be ugly? And I was like, are you kidding me? I want to like strangle my kids. I wanted to, there are days, I mean, is this a joke? And they instantly, every parent, when I'm in this conversation, every single parent does the same thing. It's some version of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I mean, parenting is hard for everybody. And there are times where you just, you look at the sky like, God, what is happening here? This is not the picture I had in my mind when we got married. That's the, that's, that's the story of a lot of marriages. It's just not the picture. God, why did you allow? Why, why is this so hard? God with Abraham and the very first piece of the promise that would become the obvious rescue plan of God to every people group, to every person on earth, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. God is asking through this precedent for you and I to understand that life is actually found when we surrender to him, when we surrender to his, his agenda, what he defines life to be. Andy Stanley, we started in week one or two of the series, uh, uh, something that Andy Stanley says, so well, we're, we're partnered, our church is partnered with uh, North Point and Andy Stanley's church in Atlanta. And Andy in his book, Deep and Wide, just talks so clearly about how the church and history for hundreds and hundreds of years, we have softened the call of Jesus. We, we've, used, we've changed the language a little bit, and we've said Jesus calls us to believe in him. 
And we've made it so easy. It's easy. We, just, we can believe while just driving in our car. I just believe a concept. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do anything. I just I believe. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. The primary emphasis of Jesus' calling is that we follow him. We actually follow him with our lives. Like we're giving over our lives to a new way, a new concept, new language, new heart, character growing in us. And in this story of Abraham, if it isn't already so crazy antithetical to how we think life should work, that I'm going to work, I need to be in control, I need to solve my problems, I need to get myself out of this financial stress, then I can, I'll have time to think about God. Isn't that how we think? If it's not so crazy opposite and challenging already, God reveals in this story something about his character, something about his heart to surrender, when he uses Abraham, and this is the response that I started seeing relief and like excitement about God when people meet with me for coffee to talk about Genesis 22 and what kind of God would ask this? God is revealing his heart to surrender. He is preparing generations of people in the story of Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac. He's preparing humans for generations and generations to come who will have a visceral reaction to the idea of a father sacrificing his son. He's preparing our hearts for what he would surrender when the day comes that God would lay down his, his own son so that we could live, so that humans who can be selfish and we can take control and we can be so ugly to others and look nothing like we were, what we were designed to be in the garden, in Eden, when we were to replicate life, we were to image God. Now we can look so counter and so different from that. God loves us anyway so much, and he still believes so much in you becoming the imager of his beauty, of his good, that he would surrender his own son. He uses the story in the many, many coffees and like the concept, Brad, of a dad laying down his son, I just can't get my head around it. He's been preparing us for hundreds and, and thousands of years for the reality that he loves us so much that he is a God of surrender. And for us to walk in his good, in his creative power, we have to join him. We have to join him in this deep character trait that is our God. The willingness to surrender what we could easily say, that's mine. I've worked hard for this. I deserve happiness. And he calls us to trust God, to trust him. That he define what happiness looks like. He defines what relationships look like. Amy and I, again, I'm going to just keep, if you, if you get tired of Amy and I referring to the challenges early in our marriage, and you know, marriage never just gets super easy, but I mean, it's so much better. For 10, 15 years, it's been so much better. We felt the right to defend ourselves in arguments. We spent an, a decade in our marriage just, we didn't even recognize the pattern, just defending. You communicate in a way that I, it's not clear. And you, I mean, just the silly, crazy things. And God called me to surrender my right to be right in my marriage. Brad, you want to know happiness? You, know, you want to know what, it, what life really looks like for marriage to be beautiful? 
You've got to stop approaching the relationship as if you've got something to teach her. You've got, you, she needs to become a better communicator. She needs to see the world through the eyes of an extrovert. <laughs> I mean, and we do. We chuckle here on Sunday morning because this is safe. In that first decade, it was ugly. We have our own mechanisms for why we control and what control looks like. And God is asking us to lay it down. And it's beautiful. Genesis 22 is one of my favorite stories now. Of God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac because he's preparing us. He's generating this response in us that is really a worship response. That my God would do it. God would actually be the one to lay down his son so that I could live. And part of the beauty of that story is the call to match it, to, to join him. In the ongoing pattern of being someone who surrenders. We could look at many examples. We're not going to take the time this morning. You can note this. You want, to, you want to absorb more of God's heart about this this week? You want to practice the words and get more of them into you? The, the, the story of Luke chapter 5. Jesus is talking to a crowd on the Sea of Galilee, right on the edge on the shore, and the crowd is so big, they're pressing in. It's like this giant crowd Sort of like, you know, like a rock concert kind of scene. And he gets in a boat and pushes out a little bit so people can see and hear him better. And the only people in the story not really fully paying attention are the fishermen who would become his disciples. They're half-heartedly listening because they feel like they still have work to do. They hold on to their nets while Jesus is teaching. And they're washing, cleaning their nets. They continue their work because they've got a lot of work to do. Life is busy. And just 10 verses later, when Jesus has told them to put their nets down, and they're like, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. There's nothing. Put your nets down. Jesus, really. <laughs> We're the fishermen. They put their nets down, and the catch is the, by far the most enormous catch any of them. The one boat starts to sink. The catch is so big. The partner's boat comes. It starts to sink. They fall on their knees and worship like, who are you? Your words and then the next verse says that they drop their nets and follow him. Just nine verses earlier, they're clinging to their nets. They can't fully let go. They can't surrender because of their own plan, their own work schedule. And the trust that's built just in those moments where the thing that they thought was so important to kind of just listen while we're working, they held tightly to their nets. They drop their nets and follow him. Jesus would turn the world upside down through these men. In August, I wrote in my journal, <clears throat> walking around the lake in South Riding, trying to press into God. I'm interested in talking to him about my deep desire for people to come to Dulles and for our church to affect our area. That's what I'm talking to God about, right? Good. That's good. You're probably like, oh, I'm, glad, I'm so glad our pastor prays that our church will be effective, and, right? Something was off in my heart and mind, and uh, the easiest way to, to say it is to, to jump to the scripture that came to my mind. It was like, boom, I hadn't thought of the scripture in a while. Joshua is leading Israel now. They've crossed the Jordan River. They're, they're actually in the promised land, and they're about to take the first city, these evil cities that do these horrendous things to other people and they're going to take Jericho and they're, they're, they're on the hillside across from Jericho 
And Joshua uh, is approached by this warrior-looking figure. And Joshua asks the figure, are you for us or are you for our enemy? And the figure, it turns out to be, is a messenger from heaven. I mean, this mighty-looking warrior kind of. And the figure says, neither, Joshua. This isn't about me helping you with your plan or your agenda. I'm here as the commander of the army of the Lord, and Joshua falls in worship. And God's using this moment, and this is, this is what I'm understanding as I'm walking around the lake in South Riding that morning. Joshua has this plan, this agenda, that is actually God's plan. We're going to step into the promised land. This is what he's called us to do. And this commander that approaches him level sets Joshua to understand God's not serving my plan. God's not here to support what the great project that I'm about to step into. He's reminding me that this is his project. This rescue plan that God has me on, this is God's rescue plan. I'm serving God. It's not that I'm calling on God to serve me. And this fills my mind walking around the lake that morning so clearly. It was so clearly the Spirit's voice to me. And I wrote, Joshua had to get his priority completely aligned for life and for the promised land. But walking and praying, something is off in me, ever so oft. My first priority is the church growing and impacting more. Impacting the community more. It was more of my priority in that moment than God being my first priority. So to get back to the voice and encouragement and confidence that we all desire to walk in, the goodness of God, I had to re-surrender even my desire for our church to grow and to connect with people and to create good in the community. I had to re-surrender the very calling and passion God has given me to ensure that I am surrendered completely to what God wants to do. To his agenda, his heart, his power. It's ironic. But that's the moment I, again that week, in those few days when I was struggling, I, I immediately began to sense the confidence and good and beauty of God. Last Sunday morning, I texted some of you, Rudy, Anike, Alton, my brother just happened to be here, flying through Dulles for a couple days from Uganda back to Portland, Oregon. I'm in the ER with Amy, and man, what a rough couple days and rough morning. The pain, uh, she had such bad post-op inflammation. It was pinching a nerve that, I mean, pinching sounds, it, it, it was like excruciating. It was like her leg was on fire. That's how she kept describing it to the doctors. And here I am in the ER about to send this text like, and I was gonna do this message about surrender. And I realized, of course, my priority was Amy. I mean, I, that, that was not a question. Like, I just, my priority was getting her relief and help. But I'd been so excited about this message on surrender. There was about five minutes in the ER before I hit send on that text where I realized I'm not surrendering my message about surrender. How screwed up can we get? where I know God wants me to talk about the rhythm of surrender being the close connection, the close to not tie. It's the secret 
to being close to God. I know it, and I, I'm excited to share this with our church. I had a moment where I wasn't sure I could actually surrender the message about surrender. And I did, and I hit send, and I was like, I am blocking, I don't know, if, I don't know, I don't know what will happen. I had met someone a couple weeks earlier, new for the first time here on a Sunday, I had a really nice conversation two, two weeks ago. No joke. I think this is a confession. In the ER, I was like, God, please don't, please don't let them come to church this morning. This is last Sunday. It, it's just the worship plan, the, 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 everything's just chaos. That person emailed me later Sunday afternoon last week. We were at church today. We loved it. We want to get more involved and just help. And, and I'm like, man, it's just so much like God. Like, Brad, you don't even need it. I, I, I thought maybe I'll just stop going to church. And more and more good things will happen. I added this to my notes. Just this is a prompting. I don't know if it fits or not. I said this to some, one of you, and they were like, you, you were like, absolutely add this. So I'm just going to say this and then close. I have learned that physical stress and worry are physical signs that we are taking control away from God. When you feel stress in your body, when you, when you are consumed by worry, that is an indicator that you are taking control away from God. And God wants us to surrender to him. It's so challenging, but it leads to such beauty. It just leads to such good in the rhythm of God's activity and peace growing in our lives and confidence that he has the future and we're actually moving toward good. No one in our society thinks we're moving toward good. No one. I mean, maybe some technology people, but generally people sense that we're just headed towards negative and more division. God's spirit fills you when he's in control with the good that he's bringing to planet Earth, primarily through his church, a surrender church. So this morning, I'm asking you, and I'm going to invite our band to come and close us. And while our band comes and gets set up, please hear this, this call, this challenge. I'm asking you to join me this month in fasting. And that used to be such a scary word. I grew up in church. When somebody talked about fasting, I just checked out. I was like, not yet, I'm too young, I, I've got, I don't know, I'm trying to make the football team, I'm trying to add weight, I can't fast right now, I'm just, whatever excuse I could find. Fasting is when you give up something of a desire, of a, a daily craving, something of your control to crave more of God in your life, more of his character, more of his voice, more of the good that he wants to produce. And there's something about it. It's, it's worship. He honors it. There's a growth part of our heart happening and our character growing when we choose to fast. And so I'm asking you to fast something every day for the next month. It could be food. It could be a meal. It could be social media. Like some of you might be like, uh, I'll give up food. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give up food before I give up social media. Maybe you need to give up social media. I don't know. It's something that you give up it could be 20 minutes a day or it could be a couple hours where instead of consuming that, you're consuming more of God's words. You're spending more time in prayer. God, work this good deep in me. Change my character. Change my reactions with people. Make me to look more like you. And the second 
challenge is the prayer that Christy led us in today and that Anike led us in last week. And it's going to be in every one of our weekly emails to the church that you pray this every day. And I'm going to pray it again here as I close my message before the band leads us. And again, you can screenshot it now or you can wait for the email or it was in the email just a few days ago so you, you have it in your inbox. Creator God who designs life and makes things new. This month, I join the rest of my church community as we surrender our control. As I fast, as I give up something of my own control and desires this month, I surrender to your plan, to your knowledge, your timing, your unmatched strength, to your control of my life. Jesus, please turn any discouragement, any distraction in my mind or heart into deep confidence that your love, your voice, your renewing power are working right now in my life and in my church. As I, as I desire, as in Psalm 27, as I desire your close presence is my first priority, may I see, as David said in Psalm 27, may I see and walk in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. <laughs>